to the podcast, everyone. This is Brother Jason, and you're listening to the Apostolic Bible Study Time. If you'd wish to email us for any reason, the email address is apostolicbiblestudytime at gmail.com. That's apostolicbiblestudytime at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash apostolic Bible study time. That's facebook.com forward slash apostolic Bible study time. Uh, we've been in the book of Hebrews for the last few episodes and we're getting into Hebrews the 8th chapter today. He, he says here in the first verse, Now of the things which we have spoken... This is the sum. When he says this is the sum, he's pretty much saying this is the point of this epistle that is being written to you. This is the point that I am trying to make. And then he goes on, he says, We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Again, last last episode we had uh, Jesus Christ being the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we're looking a little further into this today. Verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Uh, Exodus, the 25th chapter, verses 8 and 9, the Lord speaking to Moses here. He says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I shew thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. So we know that the Lord had Moses up there for uh, 40 days and He stood before the Lord, then when he came down to the children of Israel, he would have to put a veil over his face because he spent so much time in the presence of God that his face actually shone with the glory of God. Oh my Lord, how I'd like to have that problem, to spend so much time in the presence of God that it just shone through on his face. That's what I've often thought about the uh, angel Gabriel when he appeared before Mary. He came up and he said, I'm Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. And I've always thought I'd like to put that on a resume, but I don't know if the uh, interviewer would quite understand what I was getting at. But what would it be like to spend so much time in the presence of God that not just the joy of the Lord shows forth, but the Spirit of God, the holiness of God actually shines through on, the, the, on your face. Just, just something I was thinking about there. But the Lord showed Moses when he was up on the mountain. He showed him the true tabernacle. So the, the Lord showed him the dimensions of it. I, we, we have a, a precedent set for this. The Lord did the same thing with Noah. He told Noah what he wanted built. He told Noah what to build it of. And he told Noah exactly what he wanted out of it. Well, he did the same with Moses here. The Lord gave him every detail of the tabernacle of the wilderness. But the way it's saying here, uh, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Now, 
we could have the argument back and forth here of whether the Lord showed him an actual object in the heavens. I personally don't believe that God is floating around on a cloud. Uh, I believe it's now what the uh, scientists would refer to as dimensions, but I believe there is a dimension which we would call Old Testament language, New Testament language, in the heavens, I believe there is dimension that is more real than what we have here. Here we have things, I mean, like I'm, I, can, I, I can knock on this little stand that I have here with my Bible on it, or I can go over to the altar and I can kneel down and I can pray. But one of these days, these things are going to be dissolved. But the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched can never be taken away. Just a little something more to think about here, but let's read on down here. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. I'd like to take a moment here and look at verse 4. The writer is writing in the present tense. So we know that whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, that it was written before A.D. 70. Uh, Vespasian came. He, he was uh, appointed to go take care of the rebellion that was in Judea. And Titus, his son, came up uh, with him. And afterwards, Vespasian was made emperor after Nero. And there were a couple other short-time emperors there also. But he was the next solid emperor after Nero. And he left Titus there to finish the job. Well, when Titus came in, Titus did not want to level the temple. He had no reverence for God. It wasn't that. I mean, it was just a beautiful temple and he wanted to keep it the way it was. He didn't want to demolish it, but it caught on fire and the next thing they know, it's demolished. The soldiers came in and they finished leveling out. They carried the treasures away to Rome and uh, they built the, the Arch of Titus for his triumph. But we read this in the present tense and we have an idea that this was written sometime in between 33 A.D. and before 70 A.D. So let's go along here. He says, For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. So the Levitical priesthood at that time, after Titus had leveled the temple, after that was done, there was no more altar to offer the gifts upon. The temple service was, for all intents and purposes, done away with. But in God's eyes, it was already done away with before that had happened because Christ came and fulfilled that sacrifice. He came and He fulfilled the sin offering. He fulfilled the Passover. He is our scapegoat. He fulfilled it all. Who serve under the example and shadow 
of heavenly things. So what the, the Levites were doing, what Aaron's sons were doing, the, the priest after the order of Zadok, what they were doing is they were coming out and their sacrifices and their washings and the different ministries and everything that they did showed the shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was uh, admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for, see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shewed to thee in the mount. Okay, so we look and we, we know that the history of uh, Israel as a nation, we have somewhere 1800 B.C. up until 70 A.D. And of course uh, Israel was there at one point and then uh, it was just Judah. Uh, Israel had been taken by the Assyrians and dispersed uh, lands and then Judah had been taken to Babylon but they survived as the tribe of Judah and they were allowed to come back into their land. We know all these things happened but why did the Lord show them just shadows and not the very essence of what he was trying to get across to them. Well, one reason, if you'll bear with me here, Genesis 15, verse 16. But in the fourth generation, this is the Lord speaking to Abraham when he tells him that his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will be slaves in Egypt. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God has a timeline and there's things we can't see moving around in the background. But it's all in God's perfect plan. Joseph goes to Egypt as a slave and he's probably wondering, Lord, what on earth? You, you showed me these things bowing down to me and I'm a slave. I'm over here cleaning toilets in Egypt. There's nobody bowing to me. I'm bowing to the toilet, scrubbing around the bowl. But God, the whole time, he never said, Oh, Joseph, I'm so sorry, I can't believe that has happened to you. No, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that Joseph would be thrown in prison. He knew that Joseph would interpret the dreams, and he knew that Joseph would be before Pharaoh and become what we would call prime minister of the land. And then indeed everyone bowed to him because he was second only to Pharaoh. Well, there's a reason why God showed them the covenant. There's a reason why they had types and shadows of the true tabernacle, but it was not manifest in their day. All they had was the types and shadows. But the old covenant was a placeholder to give way to the new when Christ came and fulfilled those sacrifices. Uh, again in Genesis, the 49th chapter. Now, this is where Jacob is telling his sons what's going to befall them uh, as their generations progress. This is a prophecy. Genesis 49, verse 10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. 
and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Well, when Shiloh come, that's the Messiah. That's Jesus Christ. When Shiloh came, Jesus came and he fulfilled that old covenant. He fulfilled our substitutionary sacrifice. So now when it says that he has sat down on the right hand of God, that means that that ministry is finished as far as the sacrifices go. There's no more left for him to offer because he has offered the perfect sacrifice, fulfilling those shadows fulfilling the Old Testament sacrifices that were made. Let's read on here now, verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better prophecy. I'm sorry. A better covenant which was established upon better promises. So we have a more excellent ministry than the Levites. We have a better covenant than the old covenant. And we have better promises than what they had in the Old Testament. I love over, I believe it's First Peter, he talks about these precious promises that have been given to us, that by these precious promises, we might be made partakers of the divine nature. When you read under the law and you see what the priests did, they would come out, uh, just take for instance, um, leprosy which it wasn't Hansen's disease, what we know as leprosy. It was a different disease. But the priest would come out and all the priest could do is declare either clean or unclean. He could either uh, put them in isolation somewhere, in quarantine somewhere, and let them come back and look and see if it progressed or went away. But that priest could offer no comfort to them. The priest couldn't tell them how to treat it or anything else. None of that was done under the old priesthood. He couldn't help them with their sin. They, they could come and they could have a terrible sin that they were guilty of and they were caught on a hamster wheel and there was nothing that they could do about it under the old covenant. All they could do is bring their sacrifice if it was a forgivable sin. If not, all they could do is be cut off from among the people. But... With these precious promises that we have, we can be made partakers of the divine nature. When you get the Holy Ghost, God writes His law in your hearts. But let's not get ahead of myself here. Verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, verses 60 through 63. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. Then thou shalt remember thy ways and be ashamed when thou shalt receive thy sisters and thine elder and thy younger, and I will give them unto thee for daughters, but not by thy covenant. And I will establish my covenant with thee, 
And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, that thou mayest remember and be confounded, and never open thy mouth any more because of thy shame, when I am pacified toward thee for all that thou hast done, saith the Lord God. Okay, the Lord promises them there that again, that there is going to be an everlasting covenant given to the house of Jacob. Galatians, the third chapter, verses 19 through 25. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise of faith of Je I'm sorry, the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law and shut up upon unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Now I would like to uh, present this to you we talk about the actions that are uh, committed under the old law and the actions that are under the new covenant. He talks about how we were shut up under a schoolmaster. Oh, okay, uh, I've been to school. <laughs> been a few years ago, but I have been to school. When I was young, they taught me that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And that was before Common Core Math. 2 plus 2 equals 4. 5 plus 5 equals 10. 1 plus 1 equals 2. And when they decided that I had learned enough and I had enough credit hours and everything, they handed me my diploma and they said, okay, you have reached uh, your general education level. Now you can either go to college or go to work. Well, you know, when I went out and I went to work and I started working with a tape measure and different things, one plus one still equaled two just like it did under the schoolmaster. Two plus two still equals four just like it did under the old schoolmaster. I mean, you, you get the drift of what I'm saying here. Well, the moral law that was given to Israel predates anything Moses had given. God was just going back over things. I mean, this you could almost refer to it as a natural law that God had given, but the moral law was always there. Go back and you, you can read to Noah. You, you can go back. You can see what was right. You can see what was wrong. You can see the Sabbath. You can see the tithes. You can go all the way back to the sacrifice that was made by Abel and one more sacrifice behind that. When God killed those animals, He shed blood to make the skins for the people. It never changed and it didn't change when Jesus came he just fulfilled that sacrifice but you still can't kill you still can't steal 
you still can't commit adultery. The moral law has not changed. The way we treat one another, now our relationship, instead of going to the priest, we go to God ourselves. There's one mediator between God and man, and it's not your priest on the street corner down there. It's not your priest over in the Catholic Church. It's not even your pastor. You can be as close to God as your pastor is because although he does fulfill some aspects of the priesthood, he is not your mediator. He is your teacher. That is what he is. But you can be close to God. There, there's no longer a middleman between you and the Lord. That's the reason why Peter said that we are a holy priesthood. Now there's a... I don't want to say a doctrine necessarily. I've never heard it defined, but I've heard people allude to it. That uh, the law with Israel was plan A, and when that didn't work, it's kind of like, well, God had no idea Adam and Eve was going to sin. Well, God had no idea that Israel was going to backslide on him. That's the idea that they're putting forth, but any student of the Bible can shut that down. Isaiah, the 46th chapter, verses 9 and 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So Israel not obeying God did not surprise God in the slightest. Uh, Deuteronomy, the 31st chapter, the 16th verse, And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them, and, I, and will forsake me, and break my covenant which I have made with them. Again, the law was a placeholder to bring us up to that point of time where Shiloh has come. To bring us up to that point of time that as Jesus says in the 10th chapter of the book of John, that there could be one fold. You go back and you look at the prophecy that was made by Noah over his sons and how he talked about Shem. And he said, Japheth will increase and he will dwell in the tents of Shem. And then in Isaiah, he said, lengthen thy cords. Pretty much, look out, here come the Gentiles. And he made one fold out of all peoples. We all come through now by Jesus Christ and become, spiritually speaking, the seed of Abraham. Let's read on down here now. For if finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and will write it will write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. 
And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Well, we look at Israel and we look at their history and uh, it, it really is fascinating. It, it really is fascinating to see what happens. But 2 Kings, the 22nd chapter, I'm, I'm going to read verses 8 through 12 here. It says, And Hilkiah the priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe shewed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Asahiah, a servant of the king, saying, so Josiah has commanded them to refurbish the temple. He was one of the righteous kings. And he came in and they cleaned house and they went to work and everything. And then while they're working on the temple, they found the book of the law. If you stop and think about what that means... The priests were going on with their sacrifices. They probably still had their Passovers. They, they still had all their, their new moons and everything else. And the whole time that they were doing that, they were on autopilot. God knew their hearts would leave him. Now Josiah had a heart for the Lord and he read the law or he had the law read to him. And when they read the law, well, he, he commanded them and that, that they started serving God again and they went out and they started breaking down the altars and the high places and the groves and they came to one and they were taking the uh, bones out of the sepulchers and they were burning the bones on these altars and they came up to one and he looked at the sign there and he said, what does that say? And they said, this marks the place of the man of God that prophesied that you would do these things. Because God knew Josiah was coming. God knew the time was coming that again they would turn their hearts to the Lord for a short period of time. And Josiah said, leave those bones alone. He didn't want to desecrate a man of God. But his heart was after the Lord for that time. But the promise God made in Jeremiah around this same time was they were never going to lose the law again because God was going to take that law and He was going to write it on their hearts. You can't lose your heart. You, you can't lose that law. That, that's why you see actions out of people that are supposed to have the Holy Ghost and you're scratching your head wondering if they ever really got it. I'm not talking about trivial little things, but I, I'm talking about things where they, they go around spreading all kinds of garbage. You, you know church people. But 
when we look at these things and we think about these things, how, if the law of God is written on your heart, can you do that to your brother? How can you do that to your sister with the law of God written on your heart? Over here in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, the third verse, Paul's writing, he says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, see that they lost the law, but God took care of that. He put it in a spot they would never lose it again. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit. 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, the third verse, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. That ink can run off the paper, that that parchment can be burned it can be lost like happened in the temple before the days of Josiah there's a lot of things that could happen to that so the Lord told Jeremiah I'm going to put it where you're never going to lose it again but with the spirit of the living God not in tables of stone but in in fleshy tables of the heart oh Jesus he is so good to us. He took this. He wrote this new covenant in a place where if you are a child of God, you can never lose it. If you're not a child of God, I pray you get what I got when you get that Holy Ghost down in your soul and you let the Holy Ghost lead you. You know that that epistle is written in your heart, not with ink, but it is written with the finger of God just like on Mount Sinai. I, written with the Spirit on your heart in a place where you will never again lose the law of God. He's good. He's good. Verse 13, In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Okay, Paul was writing over in 1 Thessalonians. We know Paul was uh, beheaded is what tradition tells us, but he was beheaded around 63 AD, I believe it is. But he was writing to the Thessalonians here in the second chapter. I'm going to read verses 13 through 16. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, he received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the church of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. Notice he didn't say Rome. He said in Judea. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always. Now we read all that to get to this. For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Okay, now if this was even written, I'm not sure about the, the dating on 1 Thessalonians. I know obviously it was written before 2 Thessalonians, but 
it was already coming to a screeching halt for Judah. The, uh, the, what God told them, what, what Jesus told them uh, about fleeing, going up to the mountains, getting out of Dodge, so to speak, getting out of Jerusalem. 1 Thessalonians, the second chapter, verses 13 through 16. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the church of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Now he's speaking here to the persecution that the Jews had poured forth on the followers of the Messiah. Verse 15, Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. It was already in that point of time falling apart for the dwellers of Jerusalem and Judea. Christianity had already spread out from there. I mean, it had already gone to the Gentiles, and it, well, obviously, we were just read from Thessalonians, went into the regions of Galatia, went into all these different regions. Uh, we know from history that it was carried quickly after the day of Pentecost. It was carried quickly into Rome and different places within a few years. Um, there's a lot of history that I'm not going to get into right now, but it is very fascinating. If you go in and you read and you have some idea where the uh, doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church come from, uh, it, it didn't come from Christianity, but uh, Simon the sorcerer, he had uh, fled to Rome and he began planting churches with his own doctrine. Remember, he was the one that offered Peter the Holy or offered Peter money for the Holy Ghost and the power that on whoever he laid his hands on, that they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But Peter, discerning through the Holy Ghost what the intent of his heart was, said, "Your money perish with you." Well, there's tradition that follows Simon the sorcerer into Rome. Now that Simon the sorcerer became the figurehead that they claim is the Apostle Peter. Now all this is tradition. This is not something that is written as concrete history, but a lot of things it makes you think. Down to, they even called the selling of the offices in the Catholic Church, they called it simony. Makes you think. But at this same time that Paul is writing this to the Thessalonians, Josephus, now he was a historian that was of the Jews. I, when Vespasian came up and he led the troops in and Titus went off with his regiment and he went to a city called Jatapada. That is where um, Josephus was the commanding general over the forces that were at Jatapada and that part of Judea. 
Well, Titus comes up, and I can't remember, 42, 43 days afterward, he overthrows Jatapada, and he uh, takes Josephus as his prisoner. So Josephus begins writing all this down. Now what I am telling you comes out of what is called the, uh, the, the Wars of the Jews. And it, it's fascinating if you like history. But this is what he had to say. This is what was going on in Jerusalem around the time that the Romans had showed up. Okay, now this is quoting from Josephus. Moreover, the eastern gate of the inner court of the temple which was of brass and vastly heavy and had been with difficulty shut by 20 men and rested upon uh, a basis armed with iron and had bolts fastened very deep into the firm floor, which was there made of one entire stone, was seen to be opened of its own accord about the sixth hour of the night. I've got a little more, but I want to go back and read the 13th verse. You can see where I'm going with this. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. I believe when they leveled the temple in Jerusalem, it was the hand of God. God wanted that temple gone because that covenant had been fulfilled. Now to pick back up with Josephus here, he says, Now those that kept watching the temple came thereupon running to the captain of the temple and told him of it, who then came up hither and not without great difficulty was able to shut the gate again. This also appeared to the vulgar to be a very happy prodigy. When he says vulgar, he doesn't mean vulgar as we do. I, I assume this was translated a couple hundred years ago, but when he says vulgar, he's talking about the common people. But uh, it says to the vulgar, it appeared to be a very happy prodigy, as if God did thereby open them the gate of happiness. But the men of learning understood it, that the security of their holy house was dissolved of its own accord, and that the gate was opened for an advantage of their enemies. So these publicly declared that this signal foreshadowed the desolation that was coming upon them. And again, that was Josephus, and that was the Wars of the Jews, book 4. But God didn't leave them without a witness of what was getting ready to befall them. Many of the people in Israel had already believed. We know the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost... Uh, you, you remember the 144,000 over in the book of Revelation, a uh, man of God that I respect immensely. I heard him say one time that he believed at that point that the 144,000, because you remember they were not defiled with women, they were virgins. And saying that, evidently they had not been defiled with the false doctrine that had come into the church at a later date. So that 144,000 was very likely the Jews that had been saved before the temple was pushed away and Israel was dispersed. But it's just something to think about. It's so much prophecy. That's what we can do. We can ponder and we can think about it. And sometimes things make sense to us and sometimes don't. That's just something that made sense to me. But that is the end of chapter 8. 
Again, if you're enjoying this or you want to reach out for any reason, our email address is apostolicbiblestudytime at gmail.com. That's apostolicbiblestudytime at gmail.com. And our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash apostolicbiblestudytime. Well, until next time, this is Brother Jason reminding you that Jesus is not in the Godhead. For in Him, Jesus Christ, for in Him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Till next time, goodbye and God bless. God is Jesus and He's all in Him. He's Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. The living Word incarnate, the helpless sinner's friend. Our wisdom and perfection, our righteousness and power. Yeah.